I think the biggest thing that I'm not sure everyone fully gets is that everyone is the protagonist of their own movie. That's Christy Olinger. She's a product manager at Citizens Bank in Rhode Island, one of the top banks in the U.S., and the founder also of KO Communication, her own boutique training organization, offering digital courses, workshops, and keynotes. She also has a podcast, all the cool people do, obviously, called The Opposite of Small Talk, offering guidance and advice on personal growth, more effective communication, persuasion, and general life improvement. Hi there, this is episode number 81 of All the Responsibility, None of the Authority, the podcast for product managers and innovators, and I'm your host, Nels Davis. I met Christy through another previous guest on the podcast, Greg Prickroll, who had us individually as guest speakers for one of his career.pm workshops, and then introduced us based on our mutual interest in communication and persuasion. Well, we had a little chat on Zoom, as one does nowadays, and hit it off immediately, and I knew she'd be a great guest on the show, as today's episode proves. So after I grilled Christy a little bit on her product management background and she educated me on credit cards, we got into some nitty-gritty topics such as how to work with difficult stakeholders, the importance of transparency if you actually want to get stuff done, how psychological safety plays into your success and that of your teams, and some of her thoughts around strengths and the concept of ease and accepting that some things are easy for you. I also asked her to share some information about her new short online course, called Consensus Creator. You can find links to all the websites and books that we mentioned on the show in the show notes page at alltheresponsibility.com slash 81, as well as finding Christy's contact information, both her website and her Instagram, where she's doing some really great stuff, especially around product management, which I love. So without any further ado, let's get into it. To get started, I'd love to hear the highlights of your product management trajectory. Wow, that feels like a big question. <laughs> so I've uh, been in product for some time. I have a 20-year career in banking, uh, which sounds like a very uninteresting uh, business to be in. But I work in uh, credit card, which I believe is the most fascinating product in the banking world. And, uh, you know, from a highlights perspective, gosh, like I, I would say you can't beat uh, being able to develop and launch a new product for one of the largest banks in the country. So I had that opportunity uh, 2018 and 19. Uh, and so that, you know, was the highlight, I think, of my career so far, just because it involved so much in terms of scope and teamwork and delivering on something pretty major. So uh, that's what I would call out as my highlight. But, you know, it's been a, a multifaceted career and such an interesting ride. And I will say in the last two years, I've really started to learn more about product management uh, broadly as a practice. So prior to that, I had my head down just doing my my own work in the banking industry. I was a little bit of an accidental product manager. And it's been so great to connect with people like you and other sort of thought leaders in the product management space to learn more about different ways to, uh, you know, di different methodologies that I didn't know were out there. So that's a uh, that's my intro. <laughs> so I think a lot of us think of credit cards as kind of a mundane thing. And of course, I work in enterprise software where we, we build software and we understand that. But really, credit cards are a product. 
and they need to be managed like a product, as you just said. What are some of the components of, of that that maybe us software product managers don't know about? Yeah. So the reason I love credit card is is because you really get into the psyche of customer behavior, um, how people leverage their money in different ways. I think people don't necessarily realize all the nuance around when people use credit versus debit versus cash, uh, the element of rewards programs and the impacts that those have on how people spend. Um, it just makes for really um, interesting data sets, internal data sets that you can analyze, and then um, different levers that you can sort of play with to get what you're looking for, which is ultimately for our card to be the top of wallet card for a customer. So uh, there's been a little bit of an arms race in the U.S. market in credit cards where everyone is just sort of upping the amount of rewards that customers get. And we're kind of at the threshold where we really can't give customers any more rewards to, to win their business. So now it's about what kinds of customer experiences can we create? And that's been an interesting and fun um, dynamic as well. So those are some of the things that go on in the credit card space. That's that's very interesting. And, and so how much of what you do is saying, well, it's going to be percentage X and it's going to be offer Y and versus things like, oh, I have to create a whole new backend system to handle this thing I want to offer. Oh, gosh, both. I mean, you know, I think there's always opportunity to improve the technology and experience. So that is typically a longer tail when you think about implementation. Meantime, there are things that we do that require no technology. So, you know, as an example, uh, if we can evaluate a customer and determine that they're eligible for a higher credit line and send them a really cool, you know, creative campaign that says, hey, great news, you've been managing your credit well and you have a higher credit line, that will often inspire an increase in spend. So there's something that required no technology, but can deliver, you know, sort of what we're looking for in terms of engagement and profitability. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. So this, that's really interesting. And it, I think it highlights that enterprise software is not the only thing that's interesting in product management. <laughs> not that, <laughs> well, not that I, most people, and in fact, most people really think of software as where the product management focus is, but obviously banks are bigger as a business than most software. Well, and- like Nils, I will say, as I, again, picked my head up and learned more about what's going on in the product management space, I do get a little bit jealous of the tech PMs, particularly in the ability to be nimble and the high level of customer interaction to learn what customer needs are. You know, when you work in banking, nimble, it, it can be tough because we've got heavy regulation and those kinds of things. And then I don't always have direct access to my customers, you know, so there are there are some elements that I, I get a little bit jealous about. But yes, uh, a credit card is a product and we we treat it as such. Yeah, definitely. You have since this experience that you mentioned in in 2019 and, and 2018, you've also started a podcast yourself, you're uh, coaching and training folks. What is the focus of those efforts? Yeah. So I would say I'm a little bit multi-passionate. You know, the, the podcast is really about 
um, self-development, and it explores a lot of different topics. Um, the, the trainings that I do are much more leaned into product management, but I would say if I were to give kind of a, a broad brush to all of them, it's mm-hmm. about being curious and growth-minded in how you approach life. You know, I'll say my experience getting into product management, I really struggled with how to communicate my ideas because the work we do is very complex and there are a lot of different stakeholders in the mix. And I really struggled with how to communicate. And the crazy thing was by that time, I had already won a national speaking competition and was facilitating workshops on communication and public speaking, yet I couldn't figure out how to share an idea uh, for how to improve the product in a way that would get people on the same page. So that was unbelievably frustrating, and I had to navigate through it the way I think most of us do, which is just learning from others, uh, on-the-job kind of training. So that's really something that's inspired me to figure out how can I give back and share ideas that will help people, you know, get there faster and, you know, get through that learning curve faster. Mm -hmm. And so that is aligned with the new course that I know you have, Consensus Creator, which is for short lessons about how to get people on your side or to influence people. Yeah. Um, we'll talk, we can talk a little bit more about that course, but maybe you can talk about some of the things you sort of wish you'd learned earlier about this that you are now trying to help people learn faster. I think the biggest thing that I'm not sure everyone fully gets is that everyone is the protagonist of their own movie. <laughs> everyone. Think about the Wizard of Oz, right? I don't know, I don't know if you remember or saw that movie growing up. Um, of course. Right. So... I mean, talk about one of the best movie villains of all time, the Wicked Witch of the West. And then lo and behold, several years later, I read the book Wicked and saw the Broadway play. And I Mm -hmm. learned that Elfie, the Wicked Witch, was actually had a very rough childhood and was, um, you know, went through terrible injustices because of the color of her skin. And you have a whole new appreciation for who she is and why she was behaving the way she was. And so that stakeholder who's completely unreasonable and kind of a jerk in the meetings, in their mind, they're not the villain, they're the protagonist. So what I would encourage people to do is to meet one-on-one with those stakeholders. Um, And I think this does two things. It, It helps you to see their perspective, which is sort of, you know, that protagonist thing. Um, But also, then they're more inclined to help you. So there's something that um, psychologists call the familiarity principle, which is just simply that the more you're exposed to someone, the more inclined you are towards them. And so it's not always super direct. You're not going to meet with that jerk of a stakeholder once, and then all of a sudden it's smooth sailing. But I do think we tend to underestimate the impact of building relationships with people um, just in terms of how it can help us get, get our job done. That's a really excellent observation. And so one thing I was curious when you, when you use that term, the familiarity principle, which I hadn't heard, I've Mm -hmm. I've heard of other influence related ideas. How did you, have you done some like studying to try to figure out how to be more influential and how to apply that? Or is it more 
you're backforming some of this, so to speak? So I would say it's both. I, I mean, I am a complete podcast junkie. So I, I host a podcast, but that comes from a place where I've been a listener since the beginning. And when I say the beginning, I would manually load episodes of Freakonomics onto my iPod shuffle like that. That's how long I've been <laughs> listening to podcasts. So I, you know, I, I try to connect the dots between ideas that I hear in those places with my life to form opinion. I mean, I think that's what everybody does, right? Whether they read or podcasts or whatever. So I can't say that I've personally been conducting research studies, but I'm familiar with this familiarity principle, which is also called the mere exposure effect um, through a podcast by Gretchen Rubin, because she talks about it frequently in her work on human behavior um, research. So, but yes, I mean, I, I've certainly um, made it a point to read books uh, like Compelling People is an example of a, a book that's um, about how to influence, because I think those can be helpful in your real life. That's a great recommendation too. So I'll I will put the some of these links into the um, into the show notes. So compelling people will be one, and the link to the Gretchen Rubin podcast, who is fantastic, of course. Yeah. Um, and I'm an, I'm a really old time podcast listener too, as well. I really identify with that idea of manually loading your your <laughs> device. Mine was an even was a precursor to the shuffle, um, not from Apple. It was it was a total anyway. Right. <laughs> Insane. But, you know, that's one of the pluses of being a product manager is you do have a little technical skills, right? <laughs> right. Right. For sure. So you mentioned this one technique, the familiarity principle or the mere exposure effect to help you work with a difficult stakeholder. Do you have other hints or guidelines for how to work with either difficult stakeholders or particular types of stakeholders that might have varying perspectives on what you're talking to them about or something like that? Yeah. I mean, I so I feel like the question that I get most often is how to handle the stakeholder who is dominating the meeting mm -hmm. in a way that you can't accomplish what you're looking to accomplish. So the advice that I give related to that in the moment is, is a little bit tough for people to figure out how to do naturally. So it takes a little bit of practice. But if you've got someone who is taking over the discussion, they like the sound of their own voice, they're taking up too much space, uh, I find the way to resolve that is to, I don't use the word interrupt, I use the word disrupt. So you need to sort of find a way to interject and ask them a clarifying question to confirm what they're saying. You know, how this might sound is something like, Nils, Nils, I'm, let me just, I want to be sure that I understand what it is that you're saying so that we make sure that we care for your perspective. And then you repeat back what that person was saying. And then if, if what they're talking about relates nothing to the objective of the meeting and what you're trying to accomplish, then the way that you handle that is, is that you say, Nils, I've, I've made a note because I, it's really important that we cover what you're talking about, but I want to bring us back to the objective of the meeting um, because we only have 10 minutes last, left and we need to make sure that we you know, make this decision or do whatever it is that we have to do. So finding the way that you can sort of using your own natural voice. So you've got to 
practice a couple different ways to find out what works for you. There's a way to disrupt that person, make it clear that, you know, you they're heard, you know, you're acknowledging mm-hmm. that you're hearing what they're saying, but that that idea needs to be shelved so that we can proceed with the objective of the meeting. So that would be an example of something that uh, I try to coach people around um, that that's particularly challenging, especially right. if the other person is more senior than you are, which is often the case, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, it sounds like a great technique, but definitely one that requires practice and par- perhaps coaching to become, to become skilled at it. Finesse. Yes. <laughs> Finesse. Yes, exactly. Are there other fundamental or maybe just common communication opportunities that product managers are missing? Are there ways that they, without thinking about challenges specifically, are there ways that they are leaving money on the table, so to speak, in the way that they communicate common, typically? So let me answer that by talking not just about the way they communicate. So I, so I think the first point around understanding that other people have a different perspective and being sure that you're considering that when you position your message, I think that's sort of the first thing. But the second thing that I think is important to understand or the way that I like to work uh, is something I call radical transparency. So when I was in college, Nils, I participated in one of those psychological studies where as a student in college, I you could go to the psych department and sign up. You know, you got maybe 10 bucks or 20 bucks for, you know, participating in a study. And this particular study was a negotiation where I had to negotiate with another person. And what I was told before I went into the negotiation was if I didn't get a specific price, then I was going to be fired. Mm -hmm. And so I went through this negotiation exercise and I I don't think that I was very successful, but at the end, everyone was told kind of what the purpose of the study was and what were the outcomes that they were seeing. And it turns out that what the study was about was whether or not you would reveal the outcome of the negotiation, whether or not you would tell the person you were negotiating with that you needed to get a specific price or you would be fired. Mm -hmm. Most people did not reveal that fact, but the ones who did were way more successful in terms of negotiating the price. So when I think about how I apply this at work, there's a lot of people who want to keep everything very close to the vest all the time. Like they're very secretive between uh, cross-functional stakeholders. And I just don't like that. I don't think that's the right way to do it. I'm quite the opposite. And I will be very transparent um, with most everyone, most all of the time, because I believe that most humans are rational. Um, assuming that our goals are not misaligned, like we all want to achieve. And so learning how to, you know, have those kinds of conversations around, look, this is a really big deal for my line of business. Like this is probably going to escalate if it, you know, if we can't work this out is a better thing to do than to just flip things up to your boss and to their boss so that they can duke it out at the top. Like that's never a helpful scenario. So one of the things that I try to coach people in stakeholder management is just to like be open with people and tell them like what your interests are. Um, and, And that's a much better way to work in my opinion. 
that sounds makes a ton of sense. You know that, and it also ties into something we've talked about um, before we started recording, which is psychological safety. And I think that there's sometimes a feeling, and this is one of the things that contribute can contribute to a feeling of not having psychological safety, uh, is that you will actually be it'll become a problem if you're too transparent. So talk a little bit about how psychological safety might play into this in an organization. Well, so Niels, I have to say, if any listeners have not listened to your episode 76 about how PMs can build psychological safety, that's the next one they should put in their queue. I loved that episode because I've been really thinking and talking about psychological safety for several years now. And something that your episode did that I don't see a lot of is gives very specific and tangible examples of how to create psychological safety. So I just want to plug that episode. No, thank you so much. <laughs> this episode, um, that if you haven't listened to it, go listen to it because it's it's really, really helpful. Um, so yeah, I think it go it comes to creating a culture of learning and openness and a willingness to allow for questions that don't result in people being defensive. And it takes time to do that. But again, I mean, it it definitely foots into this idea of radical transparency is like, if I'm going to be super open about what I'm working on, like, I may be still in the earlier stages of strategy development. So I might not know all the answers. And if I'm open about it and I enable stakeholders to ask challenging questions, the ultimate result is going to be so much better. So I agree with you that there's connectivity there between those ideas around having psychological safety, including your cross-functional partners, um, being a a real key to, um, to being better. I couldn't agree more. You know, I think transparency de- depends on there being psychological safety in order to just be able to open your mouth. Yeah. You know, <laughs> um, what about, I, I mentioned something in that episode that, and I appreciate you giving the shout out to it, but a, sort of an interesting question that I had, and I, I think you may have some ideas about this as well, which is the idea of having psychological safety within yourself. Not, and I guess what that means is not a lot of negative self-talk you know, saying, oh, I'm doing a great job, you know, to yourself. Yeah. Well, it's so funny because I was, um, as I was listening to the episode, you asked this rhetorical question and I was talking out loud to you while I was, you know, (laughs) had you in my earbuds because I believe that psychological safety with yourself is about having a growth mindset. Mm -hmm. It's about being a lifelong learner and understanding that it's okay to fail uh, forward, right? We fail forward to success. So psychological safety is being okay with not knowing the answers, like knowing that you won't always know the answers and being okay with that. Um, That to me is the direct link. So I think self-psychological safety is having a growth mindset. What do you think? I I think you're not wrong. (laughs) These things are all so tightly... (laughs) tightly linked to one another. Um, mm-hmm. Say a little bit more about the growth mindset. You know, I don't know if everybody on the in the audience is familiar with this idea. Yeah. So, I mean, growth mindset is the idea that we have a range of ability 
and that um, it's possible to improve with effort. Um, so it's based on the work of Dr. Carol Dweck. I think, you know, anytime there's this kind of study, there's always the question of replicability and like, you know, all this academic scholarly challenge. But fundamentally, like I'm very much a believer that, you know, we get a range of ability and you can either perform at the bottom end of that range or you can perform at the top end of the range. And it's your it's it's you that drives that. It isn't a binary thing. So I have a very closed mindset about my ability to dunk a basketball. Like that is never going to happen. No matter how much effort I have, I'm only five, five. So like that's, you know, so it's, it's not this pie in the sky idea that if you have a growth mindset, you can do anything that you want to do. Um, but you may be able to do the things that you want to do better than if you didn't have a growth mindset. Um, I find it really helpful. I I think particularly one of the ways it plays in in my day-to-day life is that I am not afraid to ask questions in meetings when I don't understand things. So if someone says an acronym or someone starts talking about something and I don't know what that is, I will literally say the words, I don't know what that means. So and it, it has never bothered me. And most of the time, what I find is if I have a question, a lot of other people have the question as well, but for some reason, nobody mm-hmm. else wants to bring it up. So I'm, I'm a big advocate of the idea of being a lifelong learner and understanding that there will always be more to learn. And I think that just opens your world up to being able to just be curious and ask questions and be okay with not knowing the answers all the time. That's, that's great. And that, that is a way to show that you have psychological safety within yourself, right? Yeah. <laughs> that you can ask a question. Well, that segues into another topic that I know you've, you've done a po- couple podcast episodes on, and we've chatted a little bit is about strengths and the Clifton strengths mm-hmm. finder, for example, mm-hmm. I've done it. You've done it. It gives you this list of out of 34 potential strengths, your top five, your top 10, and the ones that you probably don't have. I always think that's an interesting conversation to think about the interplay of growth mindset and strengths. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, like when I think about Clifton strengths, the concept that I um, gravitate to is this idea of not forcing the things that you are not naturally good at and instead focusing on and really finding ways to amplify the things that you are. Mm-hmm. Um, I read a great book recently called The Firestarter Sessions. And uh, one of the um, themes in that book, one of the ideas in that book was the idea of ease and that it's okay to gravitate to the things that are easy for you. It just it doesn't mean that there's less value to what you're doing. It just means that you're aligning your strengths with the work that you're doing. So I'm a I'm a big advocate of that. And I also lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm okay with that because I have a growth mindset. I'm That's okay. right, of course. Okay. So you might have been thinking about what to do about where a strength that is sort of required by your job but that yes. you don't have. Yes. So I was th- I was actually thinking about how to tie it back into communication because not everyone is naturally um, a very 
there is a particular type of communication that for whatever reason is sort of, I'm using air quotes, deemed as preferred, particularly in corporate environments. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the person who's going to be loud, the person that's going to be super assertive, um, you know, all of those kinds of things. And I think sometimes when product managers aren't that way, they're more of a quiet leader. They, they feel these feelings of inadequacy because they're not the one that's going to be the loud pontificator in the meeting, right? I believe that you can be whoever you are and find a way to communicate your idea in a way that works for you. So I have a particular style. Nils, you have a particular style. Everyone does. You have to just try on different ideas and find what works for you. But you do have to find a way to speak in the meeting. Like you you can't just not ever do that. Um, so that would be a space where I would say, you know, as a product manager, you do have to be the champion of the product. Mm-hmm. And so you do have to be the one that's talking about the vision and helping tell the story of the product to different stakeholders. Um, so you might just have to find a way to do that that works for you. If it doesn't come supernaturally, then that's when you come to someone like me and I can help you figure it out. Right. Yeah, exactly. So I've definitely seen that effect in the, in the whole strengths thing as well. I don't have a lot of strengths in the execution component of the Clifton Strengths Finder, but of course I have to execute things. So I use tools to help me do that. And the same way that someone who might not have one of the de facto communication strengths might be able to use one of their other strengths to make communication happen in a different way, in a sort of different modality or something like that. Yeah. So you want to know my, um, I don't know if they call it a weakness, but my, the one that's not a strength for me is innovation. How terrible is that to be a product manager Mm -hmm. and innovation is is your weakness. Um, But I, the quote I always say is you can have the most innovative idea, but unless you can communicate it in a way that inspires others into action, you you don't really have anything. So I'm, I'm good at identifying an idea uh, that's good and knowing when is the right time to bring it to market, knowing that I can tell that story and get it done. Mm-hmm. So I'm good at choosing innovative ideas to pursue, but I'm not necessarily the idea generator usually. Yeah, uh, that makes total sense. And I have the opposite problem. I have lots of ideas. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's a matter of, luckily I have some communication strengths as well. You know, it, it definitely is true. You have to figure out not only what you're strong at and how to make those things compensate for things you might be weak at, but also understand what you might, what you might be weak at and recognize that you, you are not like other people in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is, this is fantastic. So many great insights, Christy, so far in this interview. And I know I want to be a little conscious of your time and, and also the time of my listeners. You know, I don't want this to go on for three days, which it could, I think. I feel like there is three days of great information that we could discuss. But maybe if you'd like to talk a little bit about your course, that this might be a good time for that. Yeah, sure. So um, so I've launched a, a digital course called Consensus Creator. It's really about helping people turn ideas and information into those compelling stories that get people on the same page. 
The course is what you would call like micro learning. So it's uh, four lessons. They're each less than 10 minutes and they come with an activity so that you can practice that strategy that day in your day job. So I'm a big advocate. All of my workshops are super interactive uh, because I believe that you can't really truly know and learn something until you apply it to your life. So that's the philosophy of this course as well. So, um, so yeah, so that's what it's about. And again, it goes back to, it was something I wish that I had when I was a new product manager. Um, and I'm hopeful that it will help give people sort of shortcuts to figuring out how can I tell the story of this idea in a way that's going to get people on the same page. Um, so it's really kind of a foundational course for that. That's the course. And I also have a ton of uh, free resources that I like to um, give folks, whether it's a worksheet to help you prepare for your next meeting or um, a checklist for how to manage your inbox when you get back from vacation. I actually have a website um, uh, link that's just free stuff. So Nils, I'll give you that. You can link that up in the in the show notes uh, and people can see the the other resources that I have out there that can help them with communication strategies. And I have to say, I haven't done the full course yet, even though it's very short, but I've done three of the three of the modules. They're excellent and the exercises are great and definitely will help you get better at things. I mean, part of it is just, oh, this is a really good idea and I should do it. And then of course you get to practice doing it, which always helps yes. you get better at it. So there's a feedback loop there, which is fantastic. Uh, why don't you share the location that you want people to go to get all this great free information. Yes. So it's just christyallinger.com forward slash free stuff. So it's K-R-I-S-T-Y-O-L-I-N-G-E-R.com forward slash free stuff. And then I'm also a big fan of Instagram. So I'm ko.communication on Instagram. If anyone wants to find me there, I'd love to have you. And Excellent. And you, you're doing a fantastic job on Instagram. I, uh, I didn't think product management belonged on Instagram or didn't know that it did, but seeing how you're working with it, I think Isn't it's it wild. I it's the, it's the most wild thing. I, I almost tripped over some product related accounts last year over the summer. And I was shocked at how much amazing learning content is out there in the PM space. So I would encourage people to check it out because because there's definitely fun and interesting and different ways to consume product management knowledge on Instagram. Well, you've definitely inspired me to start getting onto Instagram. So I'm not there yet, but All right. pretty soon, oh, SPMH, okay. maybe a secret product manager handbook or ATR, something like that. We'll be a user <laughs> and then we'll, <laughs> we'll see how it goes. This has been great. Thank you so much, Christy, for uh, talking with me about all the stuff you're working on. It's really interesting and I think really valuable for PMs to take advantage of the stuff you've shared and to practice all of these communication skills and approaches that you've mentioned. Thanks for having me, Nils. Again, that was Christy Olinger. I loved having her on the show. I thought the interview was great. If you are interested in following up on any of the links or books or podcasts or all the other things we mentioned, during the show, check out the show notes at alltheresponsibility.com slash 81. And if you'd like to subscribe to the podcast so you get every episode, that's the place to do it as well. That's it for this week. Until next week, this is Nels Davis signing off. Bye-bye. <laughs>